0: So, uh, what I need you to do is, uh, as we get ready to have you come forward to get the communion, uh, I need you to take it back to your seat and put it in the cup holder. If you're sitting on the front row, just put it behind one of the legs there where you won't kick it over. We're going to sit on it for a while. Alright? <clears throat> There's a reason for all this, so come get your communion and uh, take it back to your seat. But do not, do not partake. Make sure you guys catch the people that are still coming in back in the lobby there. We welcome everybody that's with us live. We welcome you for joining us today. You're watching us uh, you're watching us uh, pass out communion, we're not going to take communion at this moment, but we're uh, saving it for a moment in the service time. So if you're watching us live, wherever you're at around the globe or in this nation, we welcome you and uh, we're going to have a good time today. Today starts the Feast of Trumpets. So Israel's getting ready to enter into that around 1130 or so today and uh, uh, as the sun goes down over in Israel. So Feast of Trumpets will last parts of three days. It's a trial run for us as we get ready to see our groom and uh, we should be getting ready. Amen. The bride hath made herself ready. That's what the Bible says. So there's some responsibility on us, right? The bride hath made herself ready. And you're going to see a little bit of that this morning. So uh, let's stand to our feet. I'm going to read to you from a psalm, a part of a psalm that's used on the Feast of Trumpets. I think you'll understand that. Just a few verses here. It says, Sing aloud to God our strength and make a joyful shout to the God of Jacob. Sounds like everybody's awake this morning. It's like some folks are going to miss a rapture in this section. I don't know where they're at. <laughs> he says, raise a song and strike a timbrel, the pleasant harp with the lute. Blow the trumpet at the time of the new moon, at the full moon on our solemn feast day. We got a lot to look forward to, Amen. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give Him praise this morning. Hallelujah. The Lord is good. Amen. So good. The Lord is faithful. Lord, we praise You. We give You glory. You alone are worthy of our praise. And we're excited for the return of our groom, your son, your only begotten son, and our Messiah. Lord, I feel the excitement just stirring up in me, Lord. You come quickly, Lord Jesus. We love your appearing. We're making ourselves ready. And everybody said? Amen. Give the Lord some praise. Children's Church is dismissed. The rest of you may be seated. Don't tip over your communion. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Numbers chapter 10. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Make two silver trumpets or shofars for yourself. You shall make them of hammered work. You shall use them for calling the congregation and for directing the movement of the camps. When they blow both of them, all the congregation shall gather before you at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Feast of Trumpets starts uh, here in just about an hour or so in Israel. It's going to carry on with parts of three days, uh, and we join them with that today. I want you to go to, so- excuse me, Zephaniah chapter two. Zephaniah chapter two. I'll share this dream with you this fall that the Lord gave me, and how He took me to Zephaniah and explained it to me. Don't have time to do that this morning. I'm going to read you a passage out of Zephaniah, chapter 2, referring to the Feast of Trumpets as well. Gather yourselves together, yes, gather together, O undesirable nation. Before the decree is issued, or the day passes like chaff, before the Lord's fierce anger comes before you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes to you, upon you. Seek the Lord All the meek of the earth who have upheld His justice seek righteousness, seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. That's an interesting statement. It may be that you'll be hidden when the Lord shows up with His anger. So I'm not going to write all these up here, but we know the four feasts that happen in the spring. It's called the early rain or the former rain. And it's also kicks off the wheat, or the excuse me, the barley harvest. So the harvest begins. We saw that on the Day of Pentecost, when three thousand people were converted that day, saved when the Holy Spirit was given, and the measure He was given. Then these last three feasts are what we call the latter rain. Most of you have seen me write this up here, and these also, this is when the wheat harvest is. And the rest of the harvest to close. It comes to a close in these last three festivals. These festivals show us the work of Christ when he comes to earth. And these also, these early rain or former rain and latter rain show us that there's going to be two visits from the Lord's son. He's going to come in the early rain or the former rain we call it now. uh, And fulfill these first four feasts with his own life. So in case you didn't know, Jesus was inspected during the unleavened bread week and found with no sin. Their testimonies couldn't agree. He was sacrificed as the Lamb of God on Passover. He was on the cross while the high priest was in the temple sacrificing the Lamb at the same exact time. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, the high priest was saying the same thing in the temple at the very same time. Then Jesus rose on first fruits and was the first fruits from the dead. We will be a part of that resurrection if we die before the Lord comes back. And then finally on Pentecost, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit and the harvest began. Every, all four of those happened on the very days or the week Jesus did all that. He fulfilled these feasts that had been portrayed for years by the Israelites. He fulfilled them on the very days and the week that they happen. So if you come over here, and you've heard me say this before, and say that Jesus is not going to fulfill these three feasts the same way he did the four feasts, you're wrong. And nowhere would that happen in any laboratory with a scientist. You couldn't say A is A and B is B and C is C and D is D and then come over here and say that E's not E and G's not G and F's not F. You wouldn't be allowed to do that. So the Lord's going to come back. He's going to fulfill these. We're, we're standing on the brink of one today, right? Uh, we don't know the year, but we're going to learn some things today about that so we can know the season. Now, uh, I want you to go to Hosea chapter 6. Now, I use this passage a lot because it's prophetic about Israel. But it also is uh, something I didn't bring out. Usually, I'll bring out verses 1 and 2 to show you that. But in Hosea chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 6, verse 1. This is a prophetic utterance about the nation of Israel. And he says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn, but He will heal us. He has stricken, but He will bind us up. Now that is a spiritual lesson as well. Sometimes God chastises us, but He will bind us up. If you read and study the shepherd in John 10 and you study about the shepherd, sometimes they would break a lamb's leg because it kept straying. And once they broke its leg, they would set it and bind it and carry it until it was able to walk on its own. That's a good shepherd, not a hireling. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. So that's what happened to Israel. They were gone for two days or nearly 2,000 years. The psalmist tells us and Peter tells us when he's talking about the end of time, he uses that quote from the Psalms and says, A thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. So let me tell you this to you. The uh, the the Israelites were scattered for more than two days. This is prophetic. They were scattered for right at two thousand days, and so they're uh, two thousand years, I'm sorry, and so they they are coming home, and they started that in nineteen forty eight. And then the hourglass was turned over in 1967 when they gained control of the city of our God. Then he says an interesting statement in that. said they're going to live in His sight, not His presence. We're in His presence this morning. Could you feel it this morning when we were? Yeah, we're in His presence now, but we're not in His sight. We're talking about something physical. We, he sees us. I'm not saying But this is something more than that. He's talking about them living in His sight where He can actually see them. They understood God's presence as well. He says, let us know. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. Listen up. He will come to us like the rain. Like the latter and former rain. on there. There's your first clue. Even in the Old Testament. That the Lord was going to fulfill the feast. And so He came. He fulfilled these first four feasts. We're waiting on Him. Anxiously awaiting Him to come and fulfill these next three feasts. The trumpets, Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, Tishrei, all the things you want to call it, that's about coronation and it's about a wedding. It's all about His coronation and about a wedding. That's what this festival illustrates to us. So there's going to be a wedding. I told you there's going to be a resurrection last week. Tell your neighbor there's going to be a wedding too. Go ahead and tell them that. Whoo! I'm feeling that this morning. There's going to be a resurrection. Amen. Then there's going to be a wedding. And all of us have been invited. If you've not sent back your RSVP, you better do it today. Amen. Today is the day of salvation, right? If you hear His voice, I'm talking to you in, I started to say TV land, but whatever you call that out there. YouTube land. Talking to all of you, today is the day of salvation. So you hear that? He's going to come to us like the rain, like the former and the latter rain. Now, I learned some new stuff. I, I'm, I got a lot of silver hair now, but I'm still learning. And a lot of us, I've shared some things about the wedding. But the wedding is a beautiful picture of, the, of us being betrothed to the Lord. We're, we're betrothed to Him. And he's going to come back. We're his bride. And I make clear that. I did a wedding yesterday evening in Winchester. And I, when I got home, I went to do a wedding. And I, I told them that what you're getting ready to see is a picture of the love of Christ for us. This is how he, he's, he's our husband. And I want everybody to see the beauty of that when you see a wedding. Here, Jesus is our groom and we are his bride. And we're waiting like the woman would have been in the Jewish culture... She's waiting for her bride or her groom to come and get her. She don't know the day nor the hour. But she's been betrothed. She's accepted that engagement and she's waiting. So she's preparing herself while she waits, right? There's a lot of things she's doing and I'm not going to get into everything this morning, but you'll get into a lot of that stuff this fall as we start digging around on the end of time. But she's waiting for him and the groom has come from his father's house to offer her an engagement. And there's some things that I learned that I hadn't known before. I knew some of the stuff, but I didn't know how intense it was. And I just want you to get ready for that in just a moment. This groom will marry his bride. He will take her to a hoopah or a honeymoon chamber. They will stay there for a shabuah or a period of seven. In this case, it would be seven days. You can't stay in there for seven years, right? We found that out this weekend, didn't we? There? The honeymoons only last so long, right? Uh, but by the way, we, we fixed the 17 marriages this weekend. The rest of you have to wait till next year is all I can say. <laughs> uh, but it was really a great time. Uh, so you're getting ready to be betrothed to Christ. And this groom, the, uh, uh, the groom-to-be, has some dealings with his father. And so he's going to go and ask for the hand of the bride from her father. And the brothers are going to come around because they're nosy and they want to make sure what kind of guy this is, getting ready to... They're all, the brothers and the father are all going to be there. And he's going to leave his house with some things to go ask for her hand. When he gets back his father's house, he's going to make a room for them a place to live and dwell at his father's house. That's what Jesus told us he was doing, right? He's our groom. He's going to go prepare a place for us in his father's house. Then he's coming back in the latter rain to pick us up. Amen? Amen. That's good news, all right? We're going to be watching the next three days, right? We don't know the day nor the hour, but we're not going to be caught off guard like Paul says, right? And so then he's going, his father is the one that determines and inspects everything. So his father tells the groom when everything's satisfactory, when everything's met like to his liking, then he can go get his ride. So you see a picture of that with Christ. Now, let me tell you some things that have happened, that some fresh stuff, I think, will be encouraging to all of us. And it will give you a new glimpse, I think, this morning into communion. This young man, when he would leave his father's house, he would bring with him a large sum of money. How many of you wives did your husband do that? Or did he show up broke? (laughs) Pulled in the driveway with a 62 Chevrolet stepside pickup, three speed on the column, fenders rusted out, but he had a whole bed full of aluminum cans and he was taking you somewhere. (laughs) whatever right <laughs> so he would take a large sum of money to the father he would take a betrothal contract or an engagement contract with him to spell out the engagement terms and he would take a skin of wine and when he got to the house the father would meet him he would ask and the, the brothers would come out they want to inspect the dude too and they would, uh, he would meet him and ask for his daughter. The father would look over the contract. He would, they would agree on the price. Now, you're worth something. Tell your husband, say, I'm worth something. All right. And you women that aren't married, don't you run around with no scallywag. You're worth something. Amen. Tell the men the same thing in this culture, right? Don't you run around with no Jezebel. You're worth something. You are worth something. Amen? Wait on God. Sometimes that's hard to do. But wait on Him. Because what He'll give you will be far better than what you'll get on your own. I can testify to that and many of us in this room can testify to that. Because I've done both. I've done, went after things on my own. And God had a way better plan than I did. Amen? Amen? I don't want to be that guy who said, I bought a piece of ground. And I need to go look at it. Yeah. Right? Should have looked at it before you bought it. Ask, he asked for the daughter and the father. When the father approves... Now listen, unless people thought the culture was weird in Israel, it's not weird. If you And I preached this a couple years ago. When the Israelites had servants... They were to, the, God ins, expected them to treat them like family. They weren't treated like slaves. So to call Israelites slaveholders is not, not true at all. They, some of them got in the flesh, I'm sure, and did the same thing some of Americans did. But they were to treat them like family. That's how God instructed them. A lot of times people would get in debt, they couldn't pay it, and so they would sell themselves to the family that they owed the debt to to work off the debt. And God had terms and provisions for all that. And they were to treat them like family. And that's not to say all of them did. But they were to treat them like family. But when the father agreed with everything that the, the, the uh, husband or the groom's offering, then he would call the daughter and she also had to agree. She could say no. She could say, nah, I ain't feeling it. I don't want a 62 Chevrolet full of pop cans. She could have said, no, right? But here's what I want you to think about. When that daughter came out, she was behind the scenes while all the negotiations were going on. When she came out and was briefed on everything and took a look at her husband, she could do one of two things. She could turn and leave as if to say no. No. Or she stoops over and gets the glass of wine and drinks it, saying, I am yours. Think of that. Hallelujah. Are you ready to hear that? Are you ready to hear that? Get your communion. I'm not through preaching. That's not why you're getting your communion. Some of you already was getting ready to whip your phone out and order something from Arby's. Let's stand to our feet If you can Think about this When you drink this cup You're saying to Jesus I'm yours That's why he said When you do this As often as you do it Do it in remembrance of me And that it's talking of himself, not you. We, we really messed communion up over the years. We made it about us, about how good we were. Or how what level of performance we had. It wasn't about that. It's about how good he is. You can't come to this table because of your goodness. You come because of his goodness. And the word remembrance in the Greek means to do over again. So he wants us to remember. How many believes the one you're engaged to would appreciate it if you didn't forget about Him. And every time you drink this, you're saying to Him, if you're doing it sincerely now, well, you know we move communion around because we don't want it. And we got everybody with us today. that have joined. We welcome you. If you got, you got a second or two here to go get some fruit of the vine and a piece of bread and join us. You, we, we do this with not religion, but relationships. So think about that. When you drink this cup, you're doing it by saying, I'm in, I belong to you. You're my man. You're my groom. Now, here's what Mark says. When Jesus was having this, he said, uh, But Jesus said to them, uh, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, be baptized with the baptism I baptized with? They said to him, We are. So Jesus said, you will indeed drink the cup I drink, and with the baptism I baptize you, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand, on my left hand, no one, that's prepared for him by his Father. Here he goes on to say, I about dropped my juice. He goes on to say that he will not drink this again until he drinks it with us. That's our groom. So every time we take the cup and drink it, we're saying to our groom, we're yours. We're always yours. We're hanging on to the contract. We're hanging on to the gifts. How many gifts did He give us? Read about all the gifts of of life and the Holy Spirit. All the things. he, He showered us with gifts. And we're saying we're waiting for you to come back because we're keeping ourselves for you. Amen. Father, we lift this bread as a representation of who you are, Jesus. You are our groom and the sacrifice you paid And as we illustrate this with those who have joined us, Lord, this is not a ritual to us in this church. This is relationship time. We eat this bread with the full awareness of the sacrifice of Your Son. And not only is He your Son, Father, but He's our groom. And we eat this bread with that awareness in Jesus' name. Lord, we hold this cup. We accept Jesus. We accept our engagement to you. We accept being betrothed to you. We accept the contract. Our Bible is our contract. It is your word. You were the word made flesh. We accept it. And as we drink this cup this morning, Lord, we accept the marriage proposal that you've given us. We accept the gifts that you've given us. We receive the contract. We receive the fact that you went back to your father's house to prepare a place for your bride and we long to be there with you and we drink this cup in full awareness that it wa- that your sacrifice washed away our sins that it made a way for us to have eternal life and above all to be your wife. We are betrothed to you. We are your bride. And we drink this cup, the cup of acceptance, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give the Lord some praise, if you can, a little bit. <laughs> you can be seated. Now I'm going to preach to you. If you have your Bibles, go on over to First Thessalonians 4, verse 13. Here's why there's going to be a wedding. Jesus is going to come back, and He's going to come back and get His bride. He's been up there preparing a nice place for us. Amen? And He's going to come back and fulfill these three festivals. These three festivals happen in the fall of the year. Jesus fulfilled the first four. I've hammered that for a lot of years now. He's coming back to fulfill the next three. Jesus will be fulfilling those in the season they're in. They're in the fall of the year. But even if we know that Jesus is going to fulfill those feasts in the fall of the year, we still don't know the day nor the hour. In fact, the moon shifts so much, their months are not like ours. They go by the moon with their prophetic calendar. They have a civil calendar on Israel and a prophetic calendar, the lunar calendar. And this represents two births, right? They have a birth of the world in the fall of the year, which falls on Feast of Trumpets as well. We're seeing the spiritual side of that, the wedding and the coronation. But it's also a physical part. That's when the Jews believed the world was formed in the fall of the year. They have a new, new year when they came out of Egypt, representing new life. All of that is pictures of you and I, for you and I to see. The physical man is born first, then the spiritual man or person is born second. All these are pictures, prophetic types, all right? So Jesus is going to come back. He's going to come back. I believe, or I say, that's what the preacher believes. He's going to come back in the fall of the year. He's going to come back and fulfill these festivals. And even if we knew when the festival was going to be, we still wouldn't know the day nor the hour. Because the festival falls on parts of three days and the shofars are blown at different times. There's different shofars blown for different reasons in the Feast of Trumpets. And I can't take time to get all on that today. So we're looking for Jesus to come back. Now let me show you, we started um, 30 days ago, we started Teshuva. The Israelites started Teshuva and that is the time to return to the Lord. It don't just mean, and I was... Digging around some more on this this week, don't mismean mean that you repent, ask God for forgiveness. It means to return, all right? You don't ask for forgiveness. And, of course, the New Testament word for that means both. So, But in their context, it means to come back into the path, all right? We got this uh, stick man. He's not been to church in a while. He needs to get back in the path, do not he? So stick man is going up the Pisteo path, right? That's what we... Have used a lot. He's on his journey. He if he gets out of the path, he's at risk. So let's say stick man's out of the path. This time a Teshuvah calls him to get back into the path. In the Pasteo path, verb faith, actively pursuing God, right? So teshuvah starts 30 days out, and and then the Feast of Trumpets starts on that. And then there's 10 more days until Yom. Poor. all right? So this is the time when Israel's called to repent and return to the Lord. If they miss these 40 days, because there's 10 from the time this starts until there. Seven days after the end of the trumpets, but 10 days from the beginning. Now, when you go to the book of Revelation, we'll get there, you'll understand why the Lord used that kind of language, right? When he told one of the churches, he said, you're going to be tried for... Ten days. It's kind of a if you don't understand Jewish, it's kind of like ten days. Why ten days? I thought God liked seven. But you you get all this here. So when the Feast of Trumpets comes, they're gonna have another ten days to get right with God. If they miss it, they have to wait till next year to come into this season again. Now it's tragic when we see this with the Gentile world, the Lord has given us so much. He's brought us into the kingdom. He's offered us. And so many people are just living their lives with no clue about God's plan. No clue about it. Some don't care. Some are in churches where they're not taught anything. And that's getting worse. Uh, and some blinded. And some Christians. They don't even like to talk about the end of the time or the prophecy. But a 30-year Bible is prophecy. If you don't like prophecy, that means you don't like a third of your Bible. And for it's important enough for God to spend a third of His Word talking about prophecy. And much of it is about the end of time. How fair is that? God giving us all kinds of clues so we wouldn't be caught off guard. What a wonderful God He is. What a patient and long-suffering God He is. So when this Feast of Trumpets kicks off, they've got ten more days. They've been try, been supposed to be called to... Repentance to return and and whatever they're doing, they need to repent and get back in God's way. That's that's what he's what he's saying with teshuva. And so this time comes, and these are all trial runs we're seeing. These festivals, these seven festivals, were ordained by God. Man didn't think them up. Hanukkah, Feast of Lights, that was a man made thing, and God and 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 it was a good thing because they were celebrating God's victory. Fine. I think God's not, but it wasn't one of the seven that God instituted. God instituted. If you see a menorah with nine, that's because of Hanukkah or Feast of Lights. It's not because of the the, the original menorah has seven candlesticks sticking out of it with amanops, which is the first thing to blood, to bud during the the spring. So it's first fruits, and so they they are getting ready for their Messiah with these trial runs, even though they don't know it. But we do have some understanding, and Paul's going to clear that up for us here. Notice what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. He says, but I do, I do not want you to be ignorant. Everybody say, don't be ignorant. don't be ignorant. Now, what's the root word of ignorant? That's where it starts. You know, there's another place where Paul said, if they're ignorant, let them stay that way. That seems pretty harsh, don't it? He said, if they're ignorant, let them stay that way. But what's the root word of ignorant? Ignore. Right? Ignore. So don't be ignoring God or His Word. He says, uh, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those who've fallen asleep or who have passed away, or those of you there this weekend, those who have passed. <laughs> Do y'all remember that? <laughs> those who have passed. Okay. Nah, we'll tell you about that later. He said, uh, I don't want you to be ignorant of those who have fallen asleep or past, lest you sorrow as, all, as others who have no hope. That's not us. If we bury somebody who we know walked with the Lord, we, should, we have hope. Hope without a question mark. He says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep or who have died. For the Lord. Now that's interesting, right? I brought this out a few years ago. Why he calls it sleep? Why that word actually can lend itself to sleep? Because they they ain't dead to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. Anybody we sent with well, you, they're alive. They they they're just waiting on a new body. I don't know what kind of bicycle they're riding in heaven, but they're alive. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, I've thought about this, and I may have said this lately. Why would God even go to all the trouble? Why don't He just go to the closet and give Him a new body? I believe it's mercy. There's going to be a lot of people. Most of the world, I'm going to say this, most of the world's going to be left behind. The Bible is clear about it, it's few that are going to heaven. It's just a remnant. That doesn't mean it's exclusive, it's open to whosoever will. It's not God's will any, But most people don't care. They could care less. Their life's more important to them, their job, their education, their other friends, whatever. All that's more important to them. God's not first. And Jesus said, You can't love anybody more than me and be my disciple. And so there's going to be a few, few people go to going to heaven in the around. Most people are going to be left. So wouldn't it be beautiful for those who have some knowledge to be able to say, I see what's happened. I see the graves open over there. And maybe repent and come on the second load when we come back with Him. But I, the only reason I can see God uh, letting the dead in Christ rise out of the ground, is just for a witness. God is exhausting himself to show the world he's who he said he was. What more do you need than some photographs underneath the Red Sea that show chariot wheels stuck in the mud down there? I'm tired of the world lying about stuff they don't know what they're talking about. I want to tell some of these scientists and some of these Harvard professors, get in your lane and stay there, dude, unless you're going to get over here and put the time in. Put the time in and then we'll talk. It's funny to me, everybody's born an expert in religion and politics. Have you notice that? All of us are born experts in religion and politics. And then he says, he says, he says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the archangel, the trumpet, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we always will be with the Lord. And look at the next line. The world is, I know it's upside down. It really is crazy some of the things that people are doing that are totally the opposite of what God has asked us to do. This is why we need these kind of words in here. He says, Those who are alive remain will be called up. So if you're alive when the Lord comes back, you're going to meet those who raised from the dead in the air. And thus you shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Tell your neighbor there's going to be a resurrection and Jesus coming back for us. Man, maybe there are days when that's the best thing you can hang on to. Well, it's there. And they can call me weird if they want to. But I call somebody that don't know which bathroom to go in weird. That's what I call weird. And he says, those who are alive and remain will be called together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. I'm excited about Jesus coming back. I am looking forward to him coming back. I'm looking forward to him to shutting every government down like Isaiah said and that the government of the world will rest upon his shoulders and of his kingdom there will be no end. He will rule from sea to sea, from North Pole to South Pole and all the land masses and everything will be set right. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the devil being cast in the bottomless pit. I'm excited about the demons running for cover because the true Messiah has come back with truth and justice written on him and a sharp two edged sword going out of his mouth. I'll be glad when the devil runs for cover because Jesus has returned and he's come back to set his kingdom up on this earth. And the Bible says that we're going to rule and reign with him. That's right. We're going to rule and reign with him. I'm going to Arizona to set that place straight. I'm going to be the governor in Arizona. That's what I'm putting in for when we come back. (laughs) I like cactus. And then he says, (laughs) then he says, next chapter, but concerning the time. Now, I don't want you to be one of those people that says, ah, nobody knows nothing about that. Don't be one of those people. Make me want to do a Barney 5 and just rub my hair all over the place. You ever seen that Barney? he get all tore up and his hair would be going 14 different directions. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. What a statement. He's talking to believers. Now, he's talking to people that thought they'd been told the Lord had come and they'd missed it. And he's clearing a lot of that up. He says... You have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon the pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. Now listen, don't stop there. That's where a lot of people's theology stops. See, I told you. I told you. Let's read the whole context. But you, everybody say, I'm a you. you. Brethren are not in darkness. So that that day should overtake you as a thief. You ought to be ready. You ought to be watching. You ought to have some understanding. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night or of the dark. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night, but let us who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate, breastplate of faith and love as the helmet of hope of salvation. For listen now, for God did not appoint us to wrath. Let me show you what's going to happen here. So you know. The, I'm, looking, I'm looking for somebody to come on the world scene in the next little season, however long, few years, what a few months, few years, whatever God's plan is. I'm looking for somebody to come onto the world scene. I'm <clears throat> getting old because I take my markers and forget I brought them up here. I'm looking for somebody to come on the world scene and offer some solutions to this craziness we have in our world. And for the world to start looking that direction. Say, here's our guy. Now, I read a secular article. Uh, it's been about a year and a half, maybe a year ago. And I read about 5G and this wasn't christians talking it was secular people talking and they said when 5g's fully implemented there could actually they could design a hub to where somebody could control everything this was brought up in a discussion the other day what do you think most of the world would do if the governments of the world or a one world government or whoever just said we're shutting your phone off and we're not going to turn it back on till you obey us. What do you think most people would do? Most would yield, wouldn't they? Their whole life's wrapped up in that little thing. They would yield. So the, the stage is getting set. You all have watched. You've watched Internet currencies. Everything's getting set to where we're going to lose more and more control. This was accredited to Hitler. I read a statement from Hitler. He said... Tell the people to relinquish their stuff to the government. And when we get control, they'll have a better life. That was attributed to Hitler. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. He was a type and shadow of the Antichrist. Now, here's what happened. <clears throat> you got this Shabua, which is seven years. And Daniel talks about it. Jesus talks about it. Paul talks about it. Peter talks about it. Revelation just clearly defines this seven-year period. It's called the Great Tribulation. I think one of the authors said, like, the world's never seen before. So we've seen a lot of tribulation, but not the kind that's coming. So the devil's doing his stuff out here. The church leaves here sometime in what we call the rapture. And then the world is plunged into this at some point, thereabouts, soon thereafter, whatever, into the great tribulation. Now what's different about this great tribulation is it's, the Bible's clear in Revelation that God uses this time to pour out His wrath. And that's what Paul's talking about. We read that verse already in Hosea that you won't, you'll be hidden. From the Lord's anger So God's going to start pouring out His wrath During this tribulation period And if you think dealing with the devil's tough Just get left behind And see what it's like to deal with God The Bible said they'll be calling for the rocks to fall on them They'll be trying to die and they can't They're in so much torment Dealing with the devil Ain't nothing like dealing with righteous wrath So God's going to pour His wrath out. look what He said. He said, He has not appointed us to wrath. So, Paul, we read this last week about the resurrection and and when it happens and all that kind of stuff that Jesus said in Luke 21. He said, don't be doing all this stuff that that day would catch you off guard. In other words, even Jesus had an idea for us that we wouldn't be caught off guard. So we're living in the last days. How close are we? I think we're very close. We're very close because that generation that will not pass started in 1967. And probably the most clear generation, prophetically in things, is 70. There again, God likes seven. So you got a generation from 1967 to 2037. We're in that terminal generation. We don't know the day or the hour. We don't even know the year. But we know we're in a season... We're watching the signs. I gave you some of those signs last week, of the earthquakes, how the earthquakes are going like this and the stock market's going like that. And some of you text me. I had several texts after church of the earthquake that happened while we were here. And then several went on this week. So we're there. Everything is being seeded for us to be called out of here. So the Lord is faithful to finish His work. You can count on... Your groom is not going to leave you here. Amen? Amen. Amen. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to attain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. And then He says it again. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as also you're doing. So there are going to be times in your life in this moment where you're going to think, man, it's all bad, but you got hope. We've we got a better place to go. We're, the Lord's coming back. He prepared a place for us. And I'm going to close here in just a moment. Let me take you to Matthew 25 before I close. You should have hope, hope without a question mark because of what Jesus has promised you. He will not lie. Amen? Then the kingdom of heaven in Matthew 25 verse 1. I want to read you something out of here. Then the king of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. See, this is stuff we talked about earlier, how they didn't know exactly. Go out to meet him. Then all the virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, Saying, No, lest there should be, not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour which the Son of Man is coming. Notice he didn't say the season or the time. He said the day or the hour. In Israel, there was there, back in their time, this, I think it's changed now, but back in biblical times, there were no teenagers. They didn't recognize teenagers. And we've done such a bang-up job with it, I don't know why they didn't do it. When you had your bar mitzvah at 13, you were expected to step up and start becoming a man or a woman and start being more invested in the community with chores. We... We've kind of just, in our culture, I'm not saying you have as a parent, but we've kind of just wrote those teenage years off. Yeah, they're going to go out there and be crazy and idiots or whatever. And, but they, didn't, they weren't allowed to do that. They didn't recognize teenagehood. They, they had to start becoming a man or a woman at the age of 13. They didn't let them take time off <clears throat> or sit in front of a TV eight hours a day. Oh, they didn't have TVs. Then. What's happened to these Five virgins. Didn't have any oil. Now, notice, think think about this, because we have a lot of people who tell us they're followers of Christ who are really not. Right? You run into people like that. Somebody that says, I like going to a church because they don't require nothing out of you. That's a bad statement. not the church you don't have to answer the church it's your husband it's your savior it's your god father he's the one that's asking something for us let me share something with you all these ten virgins were in the same spot they all had the same equipment they all looked the same i think he's talking about the church here But only five of them had oil. Five of them didn't. You ready? I'm talking to everybody under the sound of my voice who gets this podcast. Are you ready? Have you looked at your life and said, you know what? God's the most important thing in my life. No question. Because we're on the, we're on the brink. And that's an exciting time. But it's not exciting if you're If you don't have any oil When the trumpet sounds When they blow the shofar If you don't have any oil You'll be left behind Today is the day of salvation The Bible teaches us If you hear his voice Do not harden your heart Like they did in the wilderness These bridegrooms were in the same spot they appeared to be waiting for the same thing. They were, all looked the same. They all had the same equipment. But only half of them were ready. Half of them. Let's stand our feet. I can't wait for, Je- for Jesus to get the nod from the Father... That the bride, go get your bride, son. <laughs> Woo, that's going to be a great day, isn't it? So, we don't know. Maybe it happened happen this fall. Don't, don't be so blind that you think it couldn't happen this fall. Don't be so anxious that you start dating it like people did in the 80s. A long time ago. And around 2,000 some were dating it again. Leave it up to God. But just know the season you're living in. Know the generation you're living in. Keep plenty of oil in your vessel. And be ready. Amen. Father, we thank you for this moment we have right here. For us all to introspect our lives. We thank you for these feasts. Because we glean from them too, Lord. We we see Paul keeping the feast even after he was converted because he finally had the true revelation that they were about you (laughs) not about some religious event but they were really about you communion is about you everything we do should be about you how i treat my wife is about you your love in my heart your commands to me everything we do is about you as we serve someone else in a job you told us to do that as unto you you told us to be kind to bosses who are mean to give a witness that we might win some lord there's just so many people that are blind and then there's a lot of folks i believe lord that hang around the church that have never really they're not really committed they just try to hang around enough to make themselves feel better we knew Lord that you'd just be coming back for a few but we want to get as many as we can to make up that few before it's too late we celebrate Lord we step into this moment with your plan the Feast of Trumpets and I call these people and the people that hear my voice on this podcast or YouTube channel, I call us all to return. Ten more days as a trial run, Lord, let's all return. That thing you've been putting off doing that you know the Lord's asking you to do, that thing you've been doing that you know God's asked you not to do, will you repent? Return to where you're supposed to be In your spiritual walk with the Lord That thing If you're here this morning And you've been Half hearted about serving God It's time to get in with both feet You that's watching me If you're half hearted About serving God It's time to get in Maybe you're here and you've never known the Lord before. Maybe you're watching and you've never surrendered your life to Christ. But you heard this message today and you want to get ready for Jesus. In the book of Jude, the Bible says, Some save with fear making a difference. And some with compassion to keep people from going to hell. Some people respond when they hear the truth about the reality of judgment. And some people respond when they hear what a great sacrifice has been paid for them. But you use that, Lord, both ends of that in the book of Jude. One messenger, two messages. We'll all have to give an account of ourselves someday. But somebody took our place so that we could be clean. This altar is open. Whatever your need is this morning, will you come as we worship?